Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. At booksandnachos.com, you can find over 100 reviews, from fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. There's also links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and information about our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. At booksandnachos.com, we're here to find you something great to read. Welcome, Books and Nachos listeners. This is Jake the Snake. And I'm Jason. And we are escaping from Siberia this week as a continuation of our Escape from New York Book and Nachos series. We're back into the comic books, volume two of Escape from New York. Last week, we got out of Florida just to see Snake Plissken dropped into Siberia. And I guess, Jason, I think you were a little bit more critical than I was with Florida. There's definitely problems with that storytelling there. Siberia, what do you expect going into this next volume? Going into the second book, I needed to reset my expectations. The first volume was a letdown for a lot of the reasons we discussed in the last show. The pacing of the action, the difficulty, understanding what was happening from panel to panel. And as far as the writing, we had criticisms of the villains. We thought they were a little weak, Romulus and Remus. There were redundancies in the story in which Snake Plissken gets stuck in a situation, he escapes, he gets caught again, he escapes again, and in the end he gets away after pulling the old switcheroo, this time with nuclear warheads that end up cutting Florida off from the rest of the country. I didn't even think of that. In switching tapes, switching nukes, is he going to switch something every volume? (laughs) Right, we keep getting more of the same every time. And what disappointed me the most was I felt there was a real campy, cartoonish quality to this story. It was clearly more Escape from L.A. than Escape from New York. Do you know what I mean by that? I think I know what you mean. I think I get the criticism. I am sympathetic towards Escape from L.A., though. Do you not like that movie? You know what? It's one of those movies where I recognize there is very much bad going on here, but I stick with it because it's a Carpenter film and it's a Snake Plissken film. No, no, I I agree, and I'll get more into it when I talk about it on Now Playing, but that was the first escape that I came to before I ever saw New York. I saw L.A. I'm from L.A. I like that it was more satirical about the city, so that, I guess that's why I'm more sympathetic and I'm, I'm willing to go, yes, this is campy. That's why I'm not, like, fuming mad over for this surfing scene for our listeners who've seen that film and know what I'm talking about with Steve Buscemi and his Cadillac and all that. Yes, I would agree that tone is very different in L.A. and Florida maybe pushed more towards L.A. than New York. I would agree with that. And so I'm expecting more or less the same consistency with Florida. We'll, we'll talk about it. I actually think this is an improvement. We could debate that if you disagree with me. But I will say one of the things that I typically notice when I'm, I'm reading a comic series is that first story arc, it's kind of a frivolous story, but it always sets up some plot points that are going to come 10, 12 issues later. Like they'll plant some idea of a villain that you don't really pay attention to in that first volume. And then they blow up and become the big baddie a couple story arcs later. And so I'm wondering if we're going to see something like that with Florida. There was a lot of background information about the president and what was going on with the economy. But yeah, here, we're not even in America anymore. It starts off with Snake. You know, it picks up where the last volume dropped off with Snake getting thrown out of a plane into Siberia. And this is the continued fallout from Escape from New York, the film. After Snake Plissken switched out the cassette tape at the end of Escape from New York, he could have ended World War III if he'd just given the president the tape. But no, it's actually Snake's fault that the war continued. Now the president, President Harker, as we talked about his name in the movie novelization, the Donald Pleasance character, he's been impeached, but he's not completely out of power because he's able to get Snake and drop him into this war zone. And the first thing we're confronted with are some flashbacks to Snake's battles in Siberia. 
I don't know if this is a retcon or what, you know, because of that novelization, I'm always thinking Leningrad. That was the big battle that Snake became disillusioned with, that he lost his eye with. And so that was my question last week. Did they confuse Siberia and Leningrad? Because they're like, you're going back to where you came from. But I guess, yeah, we're going to find out. He also fought in Siberia and there's fighting going on now as he gets dropped in there because, like you said, the war has restarted. I guess it was kind of everyone was just on hold for that conference that Snake sabotaged, but because that got sabotaged. Now everyone's fighting again, and he's dropped right in the middle of a battle. Yeah, I thought the point of dropping Snake into Siberia was to put him in a prison like a gulag, but it's almost like he's free to run off here, and he ends up just kind of joining up with the U.S. forces, which is contrary to what we've been told of Snake. And this is something that I think we'll talk more about throughout this episode and maybe the next one, too. His existence is to go be left alone. He doesn't want anybody to talk to him or anything. He just wants to go sit somewhere. And yet he's constantly pulled in these directions and chooses of his own free will more than a couple of times to do the right thing. Yeah, we'll see at the beginning when he lands in Siberia, he gets to fight a bear. That's awesome. I'm all down for that. But he gets saved by this mysterious, I don't even know what to call him because I don't want to spoil the identity yet, but I figured it out pretty early. There's this guy, the best I can describe him is that he's wearing a reverse Iron Maiden suit. (laughs) Like it's this spiky suit. You're kind of down on the campiness of L.A. I'm like, snake fighting bears and this spiked man coming out to help him, whoever that is. Like, I'm down. It's a pretty cool suit. But you talked about these flashbacks, and we'll see that as he's fighting here and, you know, getting his feet grounded in Siberia. Like, it keeps flashing back to him being in the war. And I was really hoping that was going to reveal something about the character. I don't think it really does, except that he'll always go and fight for his men and try to save them. But I don't think these flashbacks, we could just get these out of the way now, because I don't think they really pay off. Do you? No, because it's not consistent throughout the book and it's very difficult to tell what's happening between the panels. Is this a flashback or is this real life? I think the backstory is important for a couple of reasons. You want to include it because it gives people like us who are fans insight into his experiences. But and I also think it's important for new readers. If you put something like this in there, it gives some new readers insight into who the person is. Because if you have no awareness of Escape from New York or LA, you pick up the book and you wonder, uh, who the hell is this guy? And clearly, these books are aimed at fans, but you got to provide that backstory and fill in those gaps if you want to get new readers. My question is, should we have gotten more of this maybe in the first volume than the second volume? That first volume, I said last week, I hope you just saw the movie because this is going to pick up with the last 30 seconds of that film. Hope you remember it all because, yeah, you're not going to get an education on that. And they don't need to do a comic adaptation of Escape from New York, the film. But if they would provide some relevant flashbacks, some things like like that to fill in. Again, I haven't watched these films in 10 years. I'm recording this with you before we reviewed them on Now Playing, so I have not rewatched them. So there's a lot of details that I'm probably not recalling. It would help if those were there. I have been watching them like nonstop. I had to go back and I had to watch Escape from New York again. And Escape from LA is also streaming right now. So I've been watching that. I've just been trying to pick up on little things that are in the movies that might be dropped in the books or little things that they hinted that we can expand upon, like where they will take the story. Because one thing is for certain, we are in the prequel to Escape from LA. We started this series at the end of Escape from New York and we're building up to a book that's called Escape from Cleveland. So we're clearly moving to Escape from LA. So I've been going back to the original film and looking for all those things. And I've been going back to Escape from LA and looking for things that happened already, like Cleveland. And I think maybe we'll talk about that a little later in the next book. 
getting into the story, I feel like we could kind of just get through it really quick, or at least half of it. Snake goes down, he ends up fighting with these troops, goes by the name of Bob. I guess he's still got that eye patch on, but he's got a snowsuit. If you're buying the toys, this is Snow Patrol Snake Plissken here in Siberia. I was kind of pleased to see them get away from the regular Snake Plissken costume because I was thinking, how long can this guy wear those camo pants? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the black tank top and the camo pants. But what happens is the way that it's drawn, Snake gets put into this uniform so he looks like every other soldier. So unless you're looking at him straight on, you really can't tell who's doing the fighting. And I kind of feel that that's another issue that I have with the art and with the story presentation. Yeah, I felt, again, last week when we were in Florida and we had the U.S. fighting the Florida troops and it got a little confusing. It was not very clear. I I think that's a whole skill set to be able to draw big battle scenes and help you follow the action. Again, every artist is going to have a different skill set. It's hard to find one that might have everything you want to execute a story. And yeah, it does get difficult telling who Snake is, if it's him shooting, if it's someone else, but he's going by Bob now. He's hiding his identity and we'll see again a lot of that infighting, that character work. He's not getting along with the Colonel. He's not getting along with this special forces team that the spiked man, as I'm calling him for now, belongs to. But we get a lot of story. Last week, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of story. This week, maybe there's too much. We get Snake fighting against Russian troops and then they go on a secret mission to blow up a train that's carrying like test Tesla tech that the Russians have, which I do love that little detail there. Like we're going to see mech suits and stuff from the Russians that they're able to utilize. I wish we could kind of linger on that more, but then we're going to go on a secret mission to a POW camp. Is there too much story? Is this too much of a correction of what we felt like last week there wasn't enough and now there's a ton of stuff going on? I'm trying to look at the whole volume as four separate issues of a comic book. And so every issue is going to have panels of action, panels of action. And one of the things we talked about last week was the action really never stopped. There are a couple occasions in this book where we do get Snake kind of pause, have a little bit more dialogue with some of the other characters. And that's something that I did like. He has a little bit more banter with some of the characters. You get a major king. She's kind of in charge. And we don't have a lot of female characters in these books unless you count Mima. But I like that Snake butts heads with this major king. At this point, the only other character that he's talking to is in the reverse Iron Maiden. And I guess it's okay for us to have the big reveal right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't guess it was Hauk right away, but as the story kind of went on and they didn't reveal anything about this man in the reverse Iron Maiden, I said, okay, he's somebody and we must know who he is. Yeah, I actually guessed it. There, There's a scene, I think it's right after they, they blow up this train and then they're going through, or maybe they're trying to get on the train and they're sneaking through this town and someone's about to get Snake and as re- revealed, it's going to be Hauk. He's going to like pull out a bazooka and shoot someone and give Snake the thumbs up. I'm like, oh, he's an ally. Even though there was that cliffhanger where like, I got to kill Snake Plissken. The president gave me permission. That's what he promised me. I'm like, well, this guy's helping him now. And since my most recent memory is that novelization, Hauk is kind of a sympathetic character. And so I'm like, oh, this has got to be Hauk helping him out. I thought they were supposed to be allies. That's what I thought from Escape from New York. The end of Escape from New York, he has another job for him. It looked like they were setting them up to be allies, but then it's a strange turn. Hauk wants to kill him. Doesn't he send people in to like kill him in the middle of the night and Snake has to? Yeah, that's what's so weird is he's like, I get to kill him. The president promised me that. Who's going to help me? And then, yeah, he sends people in to try to kill Snake and he never wants to do it himself until the very end. Right. In the end of all this, Hauk is the big villain, even though the president is really the big bad, the unseen mastermind. But part of me feels like Hauk should have been the henchman standing by the president's side the entire time. 
Yeah, I feel like you could set up a more interesting conflict for Snake because it will be revealed that a lot of people blame him. A lot of these soldiers blame him for having to go back into war and keep fighting the Russians because Snake is the one who switched that tape and caused this war to continue. I think instead of everyone thinking he's Bob, reveal earlier on that he was Snake and really play with that tension with these troops that may revere him but are also angry with him for causing this war to continue. I think you could have some interesting drama there. We're never going to really dwell on that, though. Last week, Jacob, you talked a lot about decompressed comics and ways to slow down the action, and I don't feel like they even attempt it here. No, and again, there's so much going on, maybe it just becomes background noise after a while. It's like, oh, cool, we're going to get this train. Are are they going to do some kind of Snowpiercer thing? When you name a movie or a book or something after a city or a country, I kind of expect that to be commented on. And and so for me, that's why I kind of have a little bit more fun with Escape from L.A. than New York, because I feel like they play with those L.A. stereotypes in that film. So, you know, you had a bear. Bears are associated with Russians. That's kind of like their things right at the beginning of this comic. So I'm like, OK, maybe they're going to do that. And so when you get to this train, I'm like, you know, is this going to be some kind of commentary on Russian life or anything like that? I keep holding out for that. But no, it's just action scene after action scene after action scene. Maybe it's too much, but this does feel like it moves more than it did when we were in Florida. And I think you kind of hit it right there. We are missing the satirical elements of Escape from LA, and we're missing the political commentary that was within Escape from New York. Carpenter talked about how that movie was inspired by the Nixon scandal. I don't feel like any commentary exists here below the surface at all. And you know what? It could have been Snake Plissken. It could have been anybody. And some of that is the writing, and I think a lot of that is just the way that the story told the panels on the page where I really thought oh this is why this is a Snake Plissken story is when they go to save these POWs like this is their big mission after blowing up the train after all these battles we got to save all these POWs from this gulag where they're just tortured awfully but it's all ruse it reminded me of Leningrad oh we got to save this you know US military leader but he was really caught on purpose to try to get information it was all a sham and they were all just fodder for this war so I'm like oh okay I'm seeing the parallels here because it's revealed there are no POWs. They're just there to get this Russian scientist, Bulgarov, who has perfected that cold fusion technology that the president was, I think, going to use to end the war originally. I just cut calling him Ivan instead of trying to pronounce his. Yeah, okay, we can call him Ivan. (laughs) That works. This was good because I actually like the way that they wrote this Ivan character, and I do like the banter that he has with Snake. I don't know how you draw chemistry, but I felt he had that. This seemed like a worthy mission. He goes in there, he tries to pull this scientist out. They don't get along kind of a thing, and we you get that midnight run feeling of two guys that are mismatched, but they've got to escape a jam together. The problem is they end up underground with a cult. Yeah, where they go in the story is just so bizarre. And I'm thinking, okay, cool, a cult. We could do something awesome with this. This Church of Tunguska, which they keep talking about how they're getting closer and closer to the Barren Strait, and that's going to become a front for the war. It's a way to get over to Alaska and into the U.S. for the Russians. As they're moving towards that Barren Strait, they find this cult. I don't understand it. Like, (laughs) do you? Because this is where the art fails me. They go underground and they're like, something happened. The finger of God touched us 70 years ago. And I see this drawing... Is it a meteor that's just suspended in a cave? Like, I see a lot of ropes. I see people hanging from a giant rock. I don't really understand the cult, and that's a problem. I'm looking at the panel that you're describing. uh, You might be looking at it, too, right now. It is a giant rock suspended midair, held up by cables. Did they ever use the word meteor? I thought it was a comet they were waiting for. It's a comet cult. I kept calling them the comet cult. 
Okay, I thought this was something that hit Earth and they thought it had some magical properties or something or is a message from God. Oh, that's what they believe for sure. Yeah, that's definitely it. And that makes no sense. And I don't understand what the hell Snake is doing there. It's a diversion that takes place the second to last issue. He and Ivan end up waking up in a pair of coffins. Yeah, this infuriates me. They did this trick in Florida too where the twins are like, hey, Snake, you're dead. And then the next issue, ha just kidding, you're cool. And this one, yeah, they're like being tied down to these stones slabs and then in the next issue we, we get a little bit of a flashback from snake and he wakes up and they're in these pine coffins he just punches his way out and they're like oh hey that's your baptism great we weren't actually trying to kill you you already did that trick once and it failed and it's just these are not good cliffhangers you could have a pretty mediocre story but you have a good cliffhanger where i'm like how is this going to get resolved in the next issue i might buy it even though the preceding 21 pages weren't that great these cliffhangers and then how they're resolved they're all fake outs and it feels like a cheat incomprehensible we start this issue with a flashback. I'm reading it. I don't understand that I'm looking at a flashback. There's about four or five panels here of a flashback to Snake, apparently on a train with wounded soldiers, and he's looking at the coffins of fellow wounded soldiers, and then he wakes up in a coffin. So I'm like, is he waking up on a train? And I'm like, oh, no, he's not. He's waking up Kill Bill style in a coffin. He's going to punch his way out. And then they say that he's reborn. It's a baptism, Snake. You've been reborn. You're part of us now. Let me show you your new world. They want him to put on robes. They want him to be part of the comet call. The previous issue, the cliffhanger, they don't shove them into a coffin. So I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, that should have been the last panel is them being put into coffins. Very little about this last issue diversion with the Comet Cult makes any sense. I needed more time with this cult leader to understand his motivation. Or you could kind of go the opposite and go escape from L.A. and just have it be campy and just a wildly over-the-top crazy guy. Again, I wanted those twins to have psychic powers. I'm not opposed to mutants and things like that in this universe where you have poison gas and radiation and all that. I think you can camp it up a bit more and have a little bit more over-the-top fun. This does feel like, oh, we kind of want to have that low-budget, gritty feel of Escape from New York, but... But these characters just aren't that interesting. If you did want to take that route, if you did want to make Romulus and Remus psychic, if you did want to make these Comet people have some sort of strange powers or something like that, I'm okay with that. They haven't established that as the world that Snake Plissken is living in. Yeah, they're they're going off of that movie, which we talked about at the beginning. I hope you've watched it recently because you're not going to get a whole lot of recaps to remind you of that Escape from New York film. We haven't even talked about these electrical power gloves that they give Snake. You know, in comic books, every character will have his own weapon. Batman has a belt. The Wolverine has a claws. They give Snake these gloves. Yeah, he takes them from Ivan, who had them originally, takes them from him to use to... What do they do? Like, they just cause things to blow up or melt? Let's go back to the Comet Underground scene or the asteroid underground scene, Snake and Ivan are on top of this rock. It's hanging in the air, suspended by wires. Snake takes the gloves to the wires. Does he melt them? Because it makes it appear as if the comet is rocking back and forth in the cave. And again, it's very difficult to follow on the page because of the way that it's presented. It's this big action scene. I don't 100% understand what's going on. Like they're swinging from this asteroid back and forth as it's falling. And I think it falls on the cult leader. And afterwards, Ivan's like, how'd you know that was going to work? And Snake, 
I had faith, and I'm like, ugh, that's not snake faith. I don't get this. Maybe that's a joke because they're involved with the cult, but it goes back to when they were in Florida, and he's like, oh, I don't think these collars are really going to blow up my head. I'll just risk it. I'm seeing some repeated tropes like that, the death fake-outs, snake just having a wild guess that something's going to work or a piece of machinery's not going to work and he's going to be able to escape from it. That kind of bugged me. I know last time you were so bugged by, I thought you were dead, being said like every other page. I don't think that gets told to snake in this one. No, it doesn't. They managed to drop that one. But like you say, they do keep including some of the old callbacks. The big showdown in this story arc amongst trains being blown up and cult leaders and all this wild stuff, really the showdown is Hulk versus Snake Plissken. They're finally going to fight and we're going to see Hulk's face. There is some tease that he was tortured by the president and now he just looks like a zombie? Yeah, it's like all the skin on his face has been melted. He's like burned. And I thought to myself, was this because they couldn't get the rights to leave Van Cleef? Yeah, I did wonder that when we started this comic series last week. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, that Kurt Russell looks a little off model. Maybe they didn't have the rights. Well, I've got a little bit of an answer for you. I dug up an old interview that Chris Sabalas, the writer for this comic series, gave right before the series came out. That's usually when they do all the promotional stuff. I couldn't find a, any interviews about Escape from Siberia, but I did find one where he said, and I quote, yep, we have Kurt Russell all sewn up talking about the likeness rights. The rest of the cast, what little of them are left at the end of the film, not so much, but that doesn't mean we won't be using them at some point, just that we have to get creative with how we use them. And so I'm guessing that's the case with Hauk here. They don't have those likeness rights, so they had to turn him into a monster. I knew it. I went back to Escape from Florida and they don't show his full face. I looked again. He's in a couple of panels and they don't show his full face, so that makes perfect sense. But let me ask you this. If the president president is the one who tortured Hauk and turned him into this monster. Why does he want to kill Snake? I don't know. I don't understand Hauk's motivation at all here. Again, I felt like there was kind of this sympathetic relationship between the two of them after reading the novelization with Snake not revealing to him the real fate of his son. You know, Snake had killed him. He was just a crazy mutant. And he's like, no, he's happy where he's at. So I felt like there was at least some kind of respect between them. The fact that he's now just this comic book monster with an Iron Maiden suit does feel like a weird change of pace. Wouldn't it have been something to take that element of the novelization and put it here in the book in the middle? of this fight or before this fight to have Snake reveal that information to Hauk. That would have been a great reveal. You become a monster just like your son in New York or something like that and they have a talk and maybe Hauk is still upset and they have to fight but I wish there was that moment. I felt like these two are due more than just a punch em up fight at the end. I could have seen Snake, Hauk, and Ivan teaming up to take down the president. You have Hauk as the big muscle, you have Snake as the leader and then you have Ivan as the brains of the operation but just when I'm starting to like this Ivan character... Ivan's abandoned at the end of the issue, and so is Hauk, because Snake electrocutes his head and makes his head explode? Yeah, because that's what those magic gloves do. I like your idea. Like, I think we should team up and rewrite this series. Yeah, they start building a little team of Hauk and Ivan, and you build it up through three or four arcs, and now you have Snake Plissken, the loner, but he's got a superhero team with them. I like that idea. Instead, it's just, oh, let's write characters off throughout this. Here's this character you remember, and now he's dead. That is more like Carpenter's approach in the films. If you go back and you watch Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., Snake meets a couple of allies. None of them will make it through the film. That's true. Some of them don't even make it five minutes. Yeah, but I think that is the challenge if you're going to do this long-term series where, again, I want Snake to go to every city, state, country that's notable and have to escape from it. I talked about that before. Make it a TV series, a cartoon, something. I'm down for that. But 
you are going to have to evolve the character. He can't be the same character as Escape from New York every time. And so if we saw this little evolution, oh, maybe I do need allies. Maybe I have become such a criminal that I have to confront the president instead of just trying to ignore all this and be on my own. That's an interesting direction to take Snake. Again, he only has two films. We don't know a whole lot about Snake. There's been a novelization and that's it until this comic series to really flesh him out. You could really take him to some interesting places. And I guess that's my frustration. While I think this is a better arc in volume two, I still know so little about Snake. I want to learn more about him. I want to see this universe evolve. And it just feels like, oh, we're going to just keep putting him through a situation where he gets caught and he has to escape every time. And that's not as satisfying. No, you're right. It's not. And that's exactly what happens at the end of this book. Snake jumps into the Bering Strait and he's going to swim to Alaska. I think that water's cold, but you know, it's Snake. He's a tough guy. Cold-blooded. He gets to Alaska. I do like that they hint in the background this whole time. You've had the president and he's controlling the vice president who's taken over and and he's still in control, even though he's on the run and there's these wars going on. And we'll get this little clip on TV that the president has finally been caught and sent to dot, dot, dot. They're not going to tell us, but I know the next volume is Escape to New York and we'll see Snake taking off. He knows what his next mission is. So before we get to New York next week, what do you think about our trip to Siberia? I'm already on record saying I have a very difficult time with a graphic novel, any graphic novel, if I can't get past the art. If the art's not sucking me in or if it's very difficult to follow what's happening from panel to panel. And I find it harder to get into this story, even though I will say I think this story is better than Escape from Florida. In this case, going in, we knew that we'd have the same creative team. Neither the art nor the presentation gets any better. So what about the story? Does the book show another side of Snake? Not really. There's a couple of moments where Snake's going to get real with the other characters. We think that's going to happen with King. We think it might happen with Hauk. But no, they pull back on this and they switch back to an action scene. The book just keeps piling on the action. In my opinion, it's not action that I'm really drawn to because I can't follow it. And I really did want more character development. They're obviously building to the confrontation between Snake and the president. I'm looking forward to that. This is just a pit stop, just like Florida, that drags on for too long. The diversion with the Comet Cult really drags it down. And Hauk, we've talked about it. This guy could have gone different ways. He could have been Snake's ally or the henchman to the president that Snake has to get through, which would have happened in the next volume. Because the story is always told from Snake's point of view, we don't get a look into what really happened to Hauk. We just get that in a little bit of exposition. And he's dispatched pretty quickly at the end of this book. He's not coming back. So we're eight issues into the story. I feel like it could have been four issues. Escape from Florida as the first two, Siberia as the second two. Like the first book, it's a pass, but it's better than Florida was. But you know, here's why I'm having optimism. Because next week, we get to escape to New York. I'm thinking Snake and the president are going to get their showdown. I'm looking forward to that. The week after, escape from Cleveland. We're going to see that Cleveland job that they talk about in Escape from L.A. And I fully expect that to serve as a prequel to the movie. The last issue of this series should lead right into that film. No spoilers because I have not read that yet. But I'm happy to be taking a look at this entire picture with you. I'm really enjoying this. Although I'm disappointed by a lot of the storytelling, I do like seeing the Snake Plissken adventure, and I think that we will get a proper one next week. That is my hope. But as far as Escape from Siberia goes, I talked about when we reviewed Escape from Florida, when I am buying single issues of a comic, these days now I usually just buy the trade paperbacks. 
I'll just wait or I'll, I'll get them digitally and see if I like that one issue. Then I'll get the trade when it comes out. But back when I was buying a lot of single issues, unless it was just horrendously bad, I would always give it its first story arc and then make a decision. Am I going to continue? And I talked about Escape from Florida. While it was fine, it's like a B minus C plus. Like it wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. It didn't give me a compelling reason to continue the story. I feel like if Siberia was the first arc, because we really don't need Snake to go to Florida to get caught and then sent to Siberia. You could have him walking away from the president after switching the tapes and then the U.S. police force just grabs him and throws him to Siberia. You could have that same transition and just get to this story. I feel like I would continue buying single issues after reading this arc. While there are problems, I just feel there's more going on here. It feels more connected with the series because you do get callbacks to some of those characters, even though they're not quite satisfying. But this almost feels like old school comics where, yeah, there's an ongoing story, but first issue, snakes fighting on the front in Siberia against Russians. Second issue, you know, he's on this train and they got to take out this train. Third issue, he's fighting a cult. It does almost feel like each issue here is its own little separate adventure. And maybe that's not great for storytelling as a whole, but I'd rather have a lot of little fun adventures than that long Florida one, which just wasn't quite satisfying. It didn't feel like there was enough there to fill up that story arc. So I think this is, again, there's problems here. We talked about him, or I wish Hulk had a better journey throughout this arc here. But I feel like this is probably more what you want if you're a fan of the Escape films. You'll get a lot more action here. Maybe not as satisfying. You're not going to learn a whole lot more about Snake, which we wish we were. But yeah, I'm excited for next week to get back to New York. Let me ask you a question. If you didn't know Escape from New York or Escape from LA, and you were just a guy who was picking up comics, would you pick this up at all? Maybe I would have picked it up. There was a time where I was picking up so much stuff, and I probably would have picked this up now if I wasn't familiar with these films. No, I'd probably give them a pass, and I don't think I'd be rewarded for picking them up and not being familiar with this original film. I think I'd be the same way. I probably wouldn't have picked it up, and part of it is because I'm really snobby about the art. Maybe not snobby is the word. You really don't like this art. I don't have that much of a problem with it. I think it could be, again, a little bit more gritty for this character, but you really dislike it. I just can't tell what's happening from panel to panel. I get what you're saying. I'll use an example from this one where Snake, he fights that bear and Hauk finds him and like Snake tries to get awake. Hauk's going to grab him. Now Snake had handcuffs on. They handcuffed him when they threw him out of that plane. They've been broken, but he's still got cuffs around each wrist. Hauk takes him and he's like, no, you're not going anywhere. Throws him down next to some kind of vehicle. Now there are chains on this vehicle and then Snake's just all of a sudden fighting. I'm like, wait, I thought I saw the handcuffs around his wrist. I thought he was somehow chained to that vehicle and I'm like how did he get away all of a sudden I'm like oh no the handcuffs are just broken and how just set him down next to there well why do you have chains there and handcuffs showing that just confuses the matter so yeah I still think there are little issues like that going on I hope next week is a better journey for you as we get back to New York maybe getting back really into those carpenter roots and don't forget that Jacob Arnie and Stewart are reviewing Escape from New York and Escape from LA on the now playing feed Very big shows, very big Carpenter movies that we've talked about, we've hinted at for many years. Finally, we're going to get to review them all thanks to you. Thanks to you, the listener. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Jason and I will be back next week to talk more Snake Plissken. But for you, there is no escape from Books and Nachos. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. You can also find many more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Books and Nachos is a crowdsourced podcast with no sponsors or ads. 
You can support our show by pledging to our Podbean campaign at booksandnachos.com slash support. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, provided by podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. And no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated.